Hello, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and I am so glad to be back after a truly enervating international break. So enough about that. Now we can turn our attention back to the good stuff, to the Bundesliga. With me is uh, the man, the myth, the legend, and more, Nicholas Wildhagen. <laughs> well, thanks for that introduction. And yeah, the uh, international breaks these days, they tend to be quite annoying, tiring, and so completely unnecessary. Yep, not to mention bad for public health. Anyway, um, <laughs> this week the Bundesliga served up a lot of great storylines, some that uh, appeal to you quite a lot, some some less so to other people we might uh, have on the show. Um, this week we've got a tightening at the top, of course. We had uh, something of an awakening at the bottom, and, and we'll also have a closer look at maybe the Bundesliga's most exciting collection of young talent, that is down in Stuttgart. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about, you know, the best of the match day just gone. This was match day eight. And, you know, I'm going to try and sort of weave a little narrative for you here. It was it was a genuinely interesting subplot of, of the uh, match day. Bayern, Leipzig, and Dortmund, those were the top three teams heading into the weekend. They also happened to be the, uh, you know, top three teams at the end of the season last year. Everybody knows these are the sort of, you know, nailed on top three teams these days in the league. And they all played at different times, which was ever so nice uh, for for fans on Saturday. You had Bayern uh, early, then you had Leipzig in the, you know, what would usually be called the top spiel. And then you had Dortmund in the the tip-top spiel that was a little (laughs) bit later on Saturday uh, than usual. Um, Which means lots of opportunities for fans to watch all of the league's best teams and uh, for results to not only impact the table, but to potentially impact the games from one to another because everybody knows how much they need to do to to, to, to get where they want to be in the table. Anyway, uh, Nick, we got to start with uh, a, a certain fixture, the first part of the trilogy, which I, I imagine was probably your favorite part. Uh, FC Bayern, München, were hosting Werder Bremen. And, you know, when you look at that fixture, usually on the list, you start thinking maybe, you know, 4-0, 5-0, 6-0, 7-1, th- these types of things in recent years anyway. Yeah. This was not... What was going on this year, was it? Yeah, I mean, usually going to the dentist is more pleasant than watching one of these matches. And, um, you know, Werder Bremen had actually uh, not won a single match against Bayern München on the last 22 occasions. If you uh, take the DFB Pokal and the Bundesliga combined, three losses in the Cup, 19 losses on the bounce in the Bundesliga. So the last time they actually managed to get something from Bayern München was a nil-nil draw back in the 2009-2010 season. Well, well, you know, look what they did this time. Yeah. A score draw. A score draw. Yeah, they they are. They you know they were in the running for that boring, uh, equaling that boring record of uh, having five one one draws on the bounce that Leverkusen had established back in the eighties. Uh, Florian Kofeld rightfully called it the most boring record that the Bundesliga has on offer. <laughs> well, no, it's a string a string of nil nil draws is worse. Let's be let's be fair here. Well, yeah, it's maybe than the second most boring record the Bundesliga has on offer. But yeah, lo and behold, Werder Bremen. <laughs> got to five draws, five one-one draws on the bounce against Bayern München, and they did so in, uh, I think, rather great fashion. Um, 
Werder had, you know, played most of the time with five at the back. Uh, you had Christian Gross and Omar Torkrik being the leading stars on the pitch. Um, Werder were really well organized. The team did an awful lot of running, you know, not allowing behind the usual, usual sort of passing avenues that they have down the flanks, through the middle. Uh, everybody ran a lot, or which showed at the end, because Werder actually outran Bayern by five or six kilometers in the end. Additionally, Werder actually looked kind of crisp on the counter-attack for once this season, on, you know, two, three, four occasions. And, you know, to be honest, uh, when Douglas Costa hit that crossbar, you know, you saw the Bayern Twitter feed going, oh, that's so unlucky, that should have been the equalizer. Well, Werder had had two more chances uh, than than that than the, um, the chance that they used for the one 0 goal, and if that had been really effective, just Sargent in the first half, Rashica in the second half, they would have you know made it three 0 if they would have been sort of you know Robert Lewandowski at his best effective. But you know that in itself is also something worth noting. Robert Lewandowski didn't happen against Werder Bremen, and that is really really something because when you see who this guy is scoring against and from what positions. That is some accomplishment. Sure, sure. What would you like to sort of um, zero in on? I, I know that this was obviously a very big team performance. This was, as you mentioned, a really sort of collective effort sort of a situation. But are there any, you know, one or two players uh, for Bremen who you think they can thank the most for, for getting this point home and dry? Yeah, I think Omar Toprak in the center of defense and Christian Kroos uh, and Maximilian Eggestein with that excellent, you know, uh, shot that got the 1-0 goal uh, are probably the, the three standout characters I, I would, you know, point a finger on. Um, and, you know, having said that, this sort of situation that Bayern are in is maybe not the most pleasant. We talked about the international break. Well, most of these guys have three international matches fixtures in their legs. Verdes players, most of them stayed back in Bremen and, you know, could train, could rest. And uh, it might have been the perfect time for Verda to play Bayern right about now. Sure, sure. I mean, um, one sort of interesting little wrinkle about the German uh, political system and the way that that political system has affected the uh, COVID response is that the sort of the health ministries of various states are allowed to um, sort of enforce rules uh, about gatherings and, and distancing and all sorts of things, which has meant that different clubs have had different um, situations uh, about releasing their players. I know, I mean, many American fans might know this because uh, 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 Josh Sargent was not allowed to join up with the U.S. team. But the reason for that is that the the the, the, the health ministry of, of the state of Bremen, uh, unlike some other uh, states in Germany, basically was saying that they didn't want players going abroad to any place that could be construed at all as like a COVID hotspot where, you know, <laughs> these days, what isn't a COVID hotspot? So, you know, uh, even, even the players that might have wanted to or otherwise been able to go uh, abroad for, uh, you know, a soccer game or two, <laughs> didn't <laughs> so that 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 was a, a good little thing for them yeah I, yeah i would say so well Bremen's health ministry has been really really sort of uh you know putting on the brakes at all given times uh during their time yeah they've been one of the more <laughs> cautious ones for sure so that that has sort of worked in both ways for Werder then uh so they were the team that trained in full-size groups the latest of all bundesliga sides i mean i think they were playing in groups of four until like three or four days before the first match. Yeah, the day, week before their first which game. Which yeah. sort of is a massive disadvantage. But, you know, given that 
you know, these days, uh, if you get two full weeks of training without anybody leaving in a league like the Bundesliga, that is actually a massive advantage for you. Yeah, it is. This was a pretty even game. Um, I, I know that even even the sort of uh, the XG experts uh, would, would say that this was a very tight game in terms of chances yeah. and, and who, who was sort of um, ha- had the better of this game, which leads me to believe or sort of leads me to think one thing, which is to say, what the hell went wrong for Bayern? This should be <laughs> the kind of game that should not be even. And, and largely, you know, Bayern were better probably in the second half, but Bremen were probably better in the first. How did that happen and how worried should Bayern be about that sort of a situation. If you're at home to Bremen, this is uh, this is not great. Yeah. Well, we talked about it before. Joshua Kimmich being out and maybe having some odd results. Uh, sure. Add to that mm-hmm. the international break with most players coming over that six nil dropping against Spain. There's certainly something going on on the heads. You know, of some of the players you would imagine. So, uh, additionally, uh, they are probably a little bit more tired and not as well rested as the Bremen players were who weren't on the road. Um, so, all in all, uh, everything combined, um, as I said, I think it's probably the most perfect time for Werder to play Bayern at this given at this current stage. Because uh, honestly, if they played them two weeks earlier or two weeks later, they probably would have lost the match. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be fair, also, you know, Bayern, everything's coming thick and fast for them right now. And, and there's just going to be some outliers. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I, I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, as well as in my conversation with, with uh, George Moisidis, who we'll get to later, uh, a Stuttgart correspondent, uh, uh, who I did a deep dive with uh, this past week, uh, that I thought that they're, you know, Banana peel might be uh, Stuttgart coming up uh, on the next match day, but you know maybe the, the banana peel just came came early. Um, Bayern, of course, do also have some uh, Champions League to worry about. They have uh, a game against RB Salzburg on Wednesday, but I can't really imagine that was uh, a, a huge distraction for them. This is basically a game that's just to see if they can hold on to first place. I mean. Bayern are, Bayern are already through to the next round. They're, you know, basically already through. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't I don't think that Hansi Flick or Bayern are too worried about that match. Even if they should lose, it's it's not going to matter in, in, in the long run. And, uh, well, they have that nice run of wins in the Champions League, which is currently a record, and they could extend that. Um, but, yeah, honestly, it's it's probably one of the, the least important matches this autumn as things stand right now. Fair enough. All right, to part two of the trilogy, mm. which, of course, was uh, was Leipzig, the, you know, the, the team that entered the, the, the weekend on second place. Uh, they went into their game in Frankfurt with a chance to go level on points with Bayern, knowing that Bayern had, had dropped points. But, you know, the Eagles, they had, they had another idea. Uh, Leipzig ended up going home level on goals with uh, with Eintracht. It was a 1-1 result, another another one of those. Uh, Iman Barkok, he uh, kept up his good run of form. He scored to put the home side up. Yusuf Paulsen, however, shot back for the Red Bulls with man, this was this was a truly lovely goal. Uh, a side-footed, you know, sort of 
blooped volley. I thought it was really sweet. It should have counted as one and a half goals as far as I'm concerned. Andre Silva uh, missed out on a really good chance to uh, score a late winner in this game, but it was, you know, Leipzig who really missed out on their chance to catch up to Bayern. Nick, Eintracht have not won since match day three mm. uh, when they took down Hoffenheim. Um, but, you know, they've, they've been drawing like crazy, much like uh, a certain team that you follow. Uh, they've drawn four out of five games, not quite as as consistent. Yeah, they lost that match against Bayern. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I still have confidence in, in this Eintracht team. Do you? Yeah, I mean, the numbers bear that out as well because, you know, the, the only time I saw them for a full 90 minutes was against Werder Bremen and they were actually really by far the better side both the first and the second half and you know their xg in that match pointed to the fact that they you know they had roughly about three almost voter had like 0.78 or something so voter were really lucky to get that one one draw and you know uh before before we started recording i took a closer look at the xg numbers and if you're a big believer in those numbers uh you can take heart from them if you're an idrash fan so because Eintracht have actually outdone their opponents in most matches, but that hasn't actually translated into actual wins. So if you would only take their XG numbers and put them down as, into sort, sort of an XG table, Eintracht should be six currently now because the point the, the club should have basically taken three to four more points from the matches than they actually do have so far. And but you know it's it's sort of very strange to see that they've drawn matches against the likes of Köln and Werder and Stuttgart. I mean, RB drawing against them is fair enough, but um, yeah, out of those four matches, you probably would have liked to see or wanted to see them win two or three of those as an Eintracht fan. Yep, yep. And maybe even as an official at the club as well. You know, we kind of poo-pooed the idea that um, that that Bayern might be looking ahead to their uh, Champions League match um, uh, in this one. However, I, I think the the argument to be made about Leipzig might have a little bit more water. I mean, Leipzig—they've got a deep squad. You know, they they shouldn't have to worry about that. But you know, they have probably their toughest. Uh, Champions League group stage fixture. Uh, they, they are away to Paris Saint-Germain on, on Tuesday. And, you know, that's that's a really big game. That's a game that sort of, uh, you know, has has echoes of, of where they were in the Champions League uh, at the end of last season. Where do you see them ahead of that game? <laughs> the group is still in the balance. I mean, when you sure. look at Bayern's group, uh, you have a hard time thinking that Bayern is going to go anywhere but through. But RB Leipzig, they have had that 5-1 loss to Manchester United, uh, won the other two matches, and you know now it's up to them to sort of try to get at least a point on the road against Paris Saint-Germain, and that's going to be a very tough ask, because as far as I know, uh, both teams are going to be at full, full strength, so um, we know what RB can do in terms of their pressing game, in terms of how well they can hinder the opponents from uh, establishing their usual passing game. But it's going to be tough against a site like Paris Saint-Germain that has such speed, precision, and you know such an unpredictable attack up front. So, yeah, tough ask. Really tough ask of them. Real quick question for you, which maybe... You know, maybe since you you might have kept a bit more of an eye on him than, than some other uh, viewers, but... What's going on with Alexander Zerlot? He he still hasn't scored a goal in in the Bundesliga for Leipzig. It's not for want of trying. He's he's 
he's getting a couple of shots off. You know, he's not looking completely lame out there, but it's not happening for him. <laughs> yeah, and that is sort of a problem for Leipzig, I would assume, because Yusuf Pilsen, the other striker, the guy who replaced them, replaced him uh, uh, against Eintracht Frankfurt, his specialty is to score beautiful goals, but not many. He's sort of like uh, uh, the Danish version of Dennis Bergkamp, what he used to be in the 90s, <laughs> just in the Bundesliga. So, um, And Alexander Zerlot is sort of like... Um, <laughs> he looks more like a striker for like a bottom five side, works really hard, gets a couple of shots off, but doesn't really get the goals so far. <laughs> is he Zeman Terodde in it's disguise? sort of like, yeah, it's sort of like Zeman Terodde, and you, you're sort of thinking, well, if he played in the Bundesliga 2 for Karlsruhe, he'd be killing it. <laughs> really? You know, those goals in Turkey, you know, what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I mean, give him some more time. I think he's uh, he's been unlucky on a couple of occasions. Um, what speaks to him is the fact that he doesn't. He, d- he sort of hasn't sort of gone for like picking up the penalty, like, picking up penalties and getting easy goals that way in order to get off the get off the mark. And he wants to do it out of um, out of open play. And um, yeah, so far he hasn't really seemed all that well integrated into the team. Sort of struggled a bit, but you know. There are plenty of matches to come. Leipzig will feature him an awful lot. And once that knot has burst, uh, he'll be putting them in. I'm sure of it. Well, I, I, I hope for the sake of, of Norwegian pride, uh, he, he can do that uh, soon enough. Let, let's move on to some, some Norwegian pride. All right. We? All right. <laughs> we must talk about it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> finally. So, yeah, this is part three of the trilogy. It's where it all comes together. The table was set for Dortmund uh, to overtake Leipzig, to make up ground on Bayern. All they needed was a win in Berlin. And, but, it, you know, in the first half, it didn't look very promising. Hertha kept Erling Haaland from getting very many touches. Uh, they, they, they actually struck first on one of several quick countering moves. Mateusz Cunha with his usual sort of laser shot madness. But then the second half happened. And all of that narrativizing that I was just trying to do back there just went out the window. I, I actually really don't care to conjure up those images again, Nick. Would, would you like to just hold forth for a moment? Yeah, I mean, what really happened in the second half of the Hertha fell apart right from the off. Um, Holland yeah. really just snuck him at the at the back post to to get to finish off a, a attacking move that he started. There, I think it was the third one that he he scored, which was sort of a back pass by Marvin Plattenhardt, which ended up uh, being sort of an assist for you know putting the game out of reach for her. To- yeah, Omar Aldareta completely misjudged it; thought he could let it run, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it, w- it was just an awful defensive display by her in the second half. Um, and Dortmund said, "Well, thank you very much. We'll take you up on that." Um, you know, Herder can take some heart from the first half, but in the second half, the entire team just fell apart. And um, yeah, what can you say? Borussia Dortmund took their chances, um, and they got closer to Bayern on the table, and they went past Bayer Leverkusen and RB Leipzig on the table as well. And that's certainly the result they would have hoped for. Yeah, how many games has uh, Erling Haaland played in the Bundesliga now? 22 and scored 23 goals. So he is, okay. um, th- that is actually a Bundesliga record. No player who's played 22 matches has managed to score 23 goals by the time he's 
played 22 matches. Oh my God. We're, we're actually running out of superlatives for this guy. I mean, yeah. it, it is true that I would say maybe one in every three or four matches, he's not a complete like crocodile <laughs> who just <laughs> chews people up. But, you know, if he's played 22 games, we've probably praised him to the skies at least 15 times. So I'm just going to declare this, um, you know, Erling Holland's superlative session, uh, number 16. <laughs> do you got anything new, or do we even need to worry about that? Well, I mean, he got the UEFA Golden Boy Award, uh, which is uh, the award for the for the best player under 20 or 21. Yeah, one of those things. One of those things. Know. So he won that, and he showed why. Um, I mean, I could go on an entire rant on why Erling Holland shouldn't have been on the pitch, actually. Well, why because, not? Why um, not? I, that, that might make me feel better for him. All right. What, what really happened is that uh, the Norwegian national team was set to play uh, international matches against Israel, Romania, and Austria. The match against Israel was uh, throated by health uh, uh, officials in, in Norway, uh, saying that one of one of the players, I think it was Dabur, the Hoffenheim player, tested positive for COVID. They... Uh, recommended not holding the match, which the Norwegian Football Federation followed begrudgingly that advice. Uh, and shortly after that, Omar El Abdelari, um, Norwegian player who's played for Eintracht Frankfurt before, uh, no, not Eintracht Frankfurt, Eintracht Braunschweig before in the Bundesliga, now at, I think, Olympiakos, he tested positive for COVID-19 as well. Health authorities in Norway said, well, you cannot follow the UEFA protocol, uh, you cannot travel to Romania, you must stay quarantined for 10 days, which is a very strict stance to take. No other nations in Europe do take that stance, but it was shown that it was the correct decision in the aftermath, given that three more players from the Norwegian national team tested positive in the aftermath. And if they would have traveled to Romania, those positive tests would have arrived after an international match against Romania. And you had the same thing happening in a match between Germany and Ukraine where, you know, you had three Ukrainian players testing positive. On the night, you had two players featuring who then, after the match, got a positive test as well. So, you know, uh, that that's all got to do with the incubation period of how this virus works. So um, the fact that Haaland and the internet and the... Uh, Norwegian national team was told to, well, you know, you have to stay in quarantine for 10 days. It's great because that's what everybody else is doing all around the world. But then they actually got a note from the district doctor uh, of Oslo saying, well, guys, you can leave uh, to your homes abroad uh, as long as you stay in quarantine. Which is exactly what Holland did, right? <laughs> yeah, once Holland got back home to Dortmund, uh, Borussia Dortmund, some officials said, well, this is the district uh, doctor of Oslo. He doesn't have any authority in Germany, so we just do two COVID tests and you can play. And later on, the uh, district doctor, uh, physician of Oslo, admitted that he didn't have any authority of you know, what was going on in Germany. So Holland was actually free to play. But, you know, then again, I wonder if you know that, if you know that this guy can play and you are sort of taking this sort of <laughs> trace and tracking business and, you know, keeping people away from getting infected serious, why do you allow a bunch of young players who are still in quarantine leave the country knowing that they might very well play matches the following weekend? It's beyond me. I'm sorry to say. 
Well, well, because you think they might score four goals and, and you know, <laughs> push their teams to a 5-2 victory in, in you know, uh, <laughs> the, the, the tip-top spiel of the week. Yeah, that, that I must ask Mr. Stein if he had indeed gambled some money on of the outcome between Hertha and Dortmund before that positive COVID test arrived. Because if he had... We might understand why he made his decision that way. But anyways, that is just around about what I think about, uh, you know, COVID-19 and how it should be followed up by the world of football. Uh, the fact that teams like Hoffenheim, for instance, have had six positive COVID tests and in themselves is scandalous because um, all of them, or at least most of them, have arrived due to international travel, international breaks. Yep. And, um, you know, if Hoffenheim was sort of like, if that was reflected in the <laughs> wider community in Europe if the rest of Europe was getting infected as by the same rate as Hoffenheim. Pretty much all healthcare systems in Europe would be on their backs failing right about now because, because right now I think Hoffenheim have had six or seven players testing positive for COVID out of a squad of 30 players. Yep. I mean, that is 20 out of 100 people on average, which is, yeah. That is the sort of thing that would break the healthcare system in pretty much any European country. Hey, don't um, don't so. look look at the positivity rates at a few uh, U.S. states, especially in the the sort of upper middle of the country, and uh, <laughs> just just you know you'll see that we're we're already there. Let's let's not talk, to, let's not talk to, about use of Makuku instead. Let's let's, <laughs> let's totally yeah. do that because I, I, I thought that you know while Erling Holland he definitely is is you know known as a pretty good interview. He at least he has to, she likes to share his sense of humor. He also is known to be, you know, pretty effusive in, in, in praise, you know, very heartfelt and, and, you know, um, honest praise about some of his teammates. I mean, he, he goes on any chance he can get about Gio Reyna, of course, but, um, this time after the game, he, he, you know, had just gotten done scoring four goals and, uh, took a moment to, to, to talk about how good he thinks Yusufa Makoko was, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, Yusufa Makoko just turned 16 this past week. Had got his first minutes for Dortmund, only got five minutes in this game, didn't have a whole lot to do. But obviously a huge day for him, a huge day potentially for Dortmund. Where is this storyline heading? <laughs> well, as the Bundesliga used to have its uh, cutout point or the starting point for being professional at 17 years old, and they changed the, this season uh, to be 16 years old, Joseph uh, Mokoko actually set a record that is probably not going to be beaten anytime soon because he was 16 years and one day at the time of playing against Hertha, which, uh, you know, as, as long as you don't have somebody who turns 16 on the very day he's playing, this record is never going to be broken. And, you know, he is probably aiming at that record by Florian Wirtz as well, who's the youngest ever goalscorer in the Bundesliga's history. And he does have a few months to overturn that as well. So I would I would assume that um, he is looking at being the youngest ever goals in the Bundesliga. And I think he's probably looking to inherit that spot up front for Borussia Dortmund once Haaland has been sold on to Real Madrid, Barcelona, or what, whichever sort of bigger team will have him. Yep, yep. And, and the more we sort of... <laughs> You know, 
have have uh, Holland praise sessions uh, 17, 18, 19, 20, and so on. The closer that day seems to be uh, that that he might be making it an exit. I mean, I could certainly foresee if he stays on this blistering pace. I mean, if he ends up scoring 30 plus goals this season and heaven forbid Dortmund win the league, I do not see him sticking around uh, another year. I, I don't know about you if you kind of have a different feeling, but it seems to me if he is this good, this quick, it, it could be an accelerated schedule. I think, yeah, I think some of it is going to depend on the transfer market next season, obviously, because we don't know where we're at with COVID by then. If, you know, the vaccines that are coming out at the moment, they seem to be effective. And if we are sort of at a stage where we say, okay, we're going back to Norwell by, by the winter of 2021, clubs do have some planning security and they know, okay, this is the sort of money we can throw around on the transfer market. If we have a lot of uncertainty still going around, we will have something that is similar to this summer where clubs are sort of like, well, yeah, maybe we just do a loan instead. And um, no, we're not going to buy, we're not going to use a lot of money and do big money signings this summer because we don't know what our income is going to be like and uh, how we can plan for you know, actually getting the money we need to to sign players. So that is certainly going to be one factor. But yeah, if if he's if things are going looking to go back to normal and he wins the championship and he scores loads and loads of goals, yeah, sure, Real Madrid, Barcelona, maybe even an English side. You know, usual suspects. Yeah, the usual suspects. Uh, they've got a game. That is to say, uh, Borussia Dortmund, they are at home to Club Brugge on Tuesday. That's, uh, you know, not one of your your tougher fixtures, but it, this is the Champions League. It's not uh, the German Cup against uh, Wacker Borkhausen. Well, I mean, Club Brugge, certainly it, it uh, has, there are some painful memories for, for Borussia Dortmund, given that they actually were in a qualifying match against Club Brugge at the start of the 2000s, uh, the noughties, uh, and they failed to get past them and ended up being in the UEFA Cup instead. And that uh, that financial hole that was left in, in the budget, it sort of spiraled into uh, the disaster that almost bankrupted the entire club. So uh, Club Brugge and Borussia Dortmund, uh, there are some painful memories right there. Yeah, let's hope there are no painful memories being written uh, on Tuesday night. Okay, uh, one more game in the the best of the week section. I think this one was more on the uh, the sort of fireworks merits. It was uh, Hoffenheim versus Stuttgart. This was a barn burner. It was you know a three three draw finish. Uh, it saw three lead changes. It saw a last minute equalizer. We had a, a first Bundesliga goal from London lad Ryan Sessegnon and uh, a, a goal and an assist from Hoffenheim's main man Andre Kramaric. But the real, real beauty prize goals I think came from uh, Stuttgart's young guns in the first half. Nicolas Gonzalez with. A stunning solo run in the box uh, to, to set himself up for, for the opening uh, Stuttgart goal, as well as uh, Silas Wamangatuka's volley after VfB had twice hit woodwork in the buildup. Yeah, it was each of those two players' uh, third goal of the season. It's a season that's been punctuated by young Stuttgart players uh, coming into full bloom. And who better to talk about the new look Stuttgart than the guy who's been covering the club at Kicker Sport Magazine for more than a decade? That is George Moisidis. I asked him first about Wamangatuka. 
to be honest, uh, uh, it's the same. I would say that Mangituka and also Nicolas Gonzalez are, for me, the most astonishing players because the whole season last year, till till Corona came up, uh, both were known as uh, in, in Germany they they say. Uh, they are killing their chances, you know. They don't don't shoot the ball in, into the net. They shoot from Gonzalez. <laughs> uh, in one game, Gonzalez didn't score the goal in, in, into the to the empty uh, goal. He shoot the ball from 60 meters. Uh, the the empty goal was right in, in front of him, and he shoot to the post. <laughs> uh, and the same thing, yeah. <laughs> and this was one of many many chances they lost. And this was the same thing with uh, Bamangituka too. They they were terrible strikers, to be honest. You know, very quick, very refreshing, very motivated. They they were fighting, they were running, but everything they did was without any uh, any plan. You know, if if Gonzalez had to 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 take the long way, he came short. When he had to go right, he went left. When he came, when he should come towards the, his teammate, he, he went away. And the same thing with with with, with uh, Vamangituka. You know, this was terrible. And then Corona came, and they didn't play two months, and then they started new. And it was so so funny to see that they changed a lot. Um, to be honest, both of them played real good after Corona, the, the first Corona pause. Then they started to play really well. And this was what I said when I, I, I was not sure if they can um, can take this this form to, to the new season. But they, they managed it to, to, to be as good as they were. And it Gonzalez wanted to to leave in summer, and stayed because he he got hurt, and nobody uh, no no club was found to to pay about uh, twenty million euro uh, Stuttgart wanted at least, uh, so he had to stay, and now he plays and makes goal for goal and and plays well, and as I said, and it's, it's the same thing with Vamengetuga. He's very young. Um, he you never knew what what he he's gonna do. Uh, but he performs very, very well and very stable on a, on a good level. He started very, very good, and now it's good. To be honest, it's not that good as the beginning, but you know, it's it's okay for his for this uh, young type of player. Yeah, for sure, for sure. A couple of a couple of other guys who are also on that sort of young developing tip. I mean, certainly Tangvi Kulabali. Um, yeah, he's only nineteen. He's yeah. one of those. You know, seems like you know the Bundesliga. If you don't have a, a player who played for PSG as a youth player, you know everybody's got one these days. They're all just sort of coming to the Bundesliga to try and seek their fortune. And this guy, you know, fits right into that that mold. He looks like he could be very good. Yeah, but it's, as I said, you know. It's the same thing. I can I could tell you so many players of them, which I I, I didn't believe they they would get it so far. Um, to be honest, Kulibali, I when he came from Paris, he didn't um, have uh, training sessions with, with the pros. He only played with the under nineteen. Uh, he nobody else wanted him somewhere in, in in Europe. You know, it was not so that everybody was looking for him. Uh, it was a Sven Misnet had the sports director found him uh, and and uh, took him to Germany 
And to be honest, uh, in the first year, I was not sure if he he would make it to the to 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 professional football because uh, he you you always thought he he he's gonna stuck in into this youth uh, football, you know. Uh, he was very quick, but he, as I said, it's the same thing with Mangituga, but he was a little, uh, a little more developed in, in in this phase. But Kulibali made always the the impression that he's um, he's too young, he's not uh, strong enough, he's not technical uh, developed so far that he could uh, make it to the first league. Now. To be honest, now you never know. You, you, some 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 kids need longer. Some kids don't need so long. And to be honest, he he he, he got a real transformation. You know, he got strong. He's strong, physically very strong. He's he's now he's very fast. He's he, he got better with his uh, skills. And now he's he's playing a good role. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been very interesting. All of these players who we have mentioned. And, and perhaps you could even add uh, Sasha Kalajic to this list as sure. well. Excuse me when I interrupt you. Kalajic is, is, is a special thing yeah. because, because yeah. He, he was hurt so long, you know. Uh, he had a, a, a very da- a very bad uh, injury with his uh, knee. Um, and normally nobody expected him to play any, to make any game the last season. Uh, so, of co- because of Corona, he he, came, he 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 had his chance to to show himself in in the second league, and uh, now it's. Not, I'm sure he can be much better too. He's he's at the start now. He, as I said, he he lost a year now after this bad injury. So uh, this uh, this was a guy I, I always thought. What I saw in the first impressions that he's got, he's one of of, of uh, the players who can make it uh, to to the to the to the first league. Yeah, yeah. He he seemed to. Well, he is a bit older as well. He's he's I guess twenty three as opposed to some of those guys. Yeah, he's he's twenty. No, but he's twenty two. Oh, is he? Okay. You know, Gonzalez is also twenty two. I think Vamangituka is twenty or twenty one. Kulibali is. 20 now. I hope I'm not, I think, yeah, 19 or 20, but I would say 20 now. Uh, so as I say, it's all about 20 to 22 about these, these, these players. I want to talk to you a bit about uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo. Um, you know, Stuttgart, they've gone through, let's just say, a lot of turbulence at the coaching position. They've, you know, changed their coach in a lot, you know, I don't know how many times in the last few years, but it appears now that they found a good one. Yeah, since 2007, it was a. I, if don't make get me wrong, I think it was 19 coaches Whew. sitting on, on on the bench. <laughs> yeah, they changed 19 times. I think so. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think anybody's lasted more than a season and a half since since Bruno. I mean, like it's been change, 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 change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruno was yeah. Bruno was the the, the record man. <laughs> was longer it was about nearly three years or mm-hmm. something about that as i remember what, what do you what do you make of uh, of materazzo now he's been in charge for you know enough to get a sense of who he is to be honest i have never heard the name <laughs> yeah believe it or not I, I i know when i got the the hint that he's gonna uh, be the new coach and i said who <laughs> never heard about the name never heard about the person and the funny thing is that i i, I live in nuremberg so I, Normally, and my son also always played here against Nuremberg often. So normally, I always thought that I, I should have 
seen him or, or heard about him, never heard about him. And uh, so he was completely, uh, as I say, a, a white sheet of paper uh, when he came. Um, and as I said, it, it, the first, you know, he began in January and, and you, you had a lot of problems. You see, at, at, in March, it began with Corona and all that stuff. Until uh, then, they didn't. They 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 haven't been better than they were in the the same phase in the first uh, leg of the season uh, under uh, Tim Walter, uh, and they didn't play much better. Um, but it was as I said the same problems that they had before they had under Matarazzo too. Um, he was looking very long for for the right uh, tactic, for the right formation, for the right uh, first uh, team. Um, and he, he, in the beginning, he was not very lucky in that. <laughs> to be honest, till they had the game against Hamburg, I don't know what you have to to take a look when it was. It was I think in April. I'm not sure. Uh, Hamburg was the favorite. Was before them with Bielefeld was before them, and Hamburg was up to nothing. And in, in halftime, and everybody believed that Stuttgart was so bad, it was te- they were terribly bad. And nobody believed in them. And, and to be honest, everybody said, okay, if they make it to the third uh, place so they can relegate against the 16th team from the Bundesliga, uh, maybe they have a chance. Uh, but nobody believed that they would uh, have the chance to make it uh, directly. But they turned the game into a three-two in, in in overtime. Uh, in, in not overtime, it was 19th minute and, and three or something about that. And this was a type of I don't know, like like a big bang, you know. Everybody said, "Oh wow, we can do that. It's it's okay. It works." And then also, um, Matarazzo saw what he had to change, you know, in, in the last games, he found his tactic. He also found his first team uh, without Didabi, <laughs> without Bajduber. Uh, he found the right mixture. Yeah. And so they, they did it. But they did it because Hamburg, you know, Bielefeld was too, too far ago, but, uh, far away. But uh, Hamburg was too bad too, you know. So they, they lost uh, their points at home and on, and on the road, and Stuttgart made the right points in, 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 in the right situations. This was the beginning of, of Matarazzo's, how, how can I say that? He, he, I would say it, it, this was the new Matarazzo. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, he, it, it's like he, he found that the team found belief in him, he found belief in himself, the, the yeah, observers yeah, suddenly yeah. believed in him. And they believed in him too, in you know Hitzelsberger as uh, uh, as the boss of the club, and and also Mislintat, mm-hmm. especially Mislintat. They always tried to to help him and give him uh, faith in what he does and in his uh, uh, decisions. And and this worked. As I said, every, now it was the question. You know, you had you had summertime, everybody was gone. You never knew how, how they changed the team, what's going to happen. But you saw in the preparation that what they do was working already. They did a real good preparation uh, training in the training camp in Austria. 
and you said, okay, this works. Now let's see how it works when it's getting uh, real, you know, when it's getting uh, serious. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I said, he's he's well educated, you know. Uh, you see, he, you know, he he was born in New York. I, I'm sure you know sure, that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, you you see that he's he's very open minded. He's he's uh, clear in his visions. You don't have that so often. Um, he's he's very straight. Uh, I, I don't know if he can say straight to the heart. You know, he he says what he means and he 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 believes in what he means, but he's never. Uh, let me say it very easy. He's never pissed when you criticize anything, you know? If you say, okay, this didn't work and uh, this was a bad decision or this was a false tactic or whatever, he never, he's never pissed, you know? He said, okay, I see that uh, this in another way, but it's okay, you know? He's a very, very good person. I, I, can, I don't know how to, to say it in, in German. I, it would be easier. <laughs> I hope my English works for you sure. this far. Um, if you can think of a way to say it in German, I can I can pro try to replicate it. You know what I mean? He, 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 yeah, he's uh, he's down to earth. He is. Uh, he's, yeah, sometimes I'm losing the words. You know, he's he's down to earth. He's he knows what he wants. He's he's friendly uh, but clear. You know, he's he's no no guy who who talks this way and does the other way. You know what I mean? It's it's not yes. he's no he's no wrong person. No false person. Yes, he's a good person, and he and I think this is how he he works with with, the, with the, especially with the young players, and, and and yeah, they take it. It's it's what they believe in. You know, if he says you're gonna get you're gonna get your chance, and I believe in you, and but you need some more time, or you need this or that, they believe in it, and this is how it works. All right, that was just a taste of what uh, is in store over on our FAWF Bay Deep Dive on Patreon. A really a, a good three quarters of an hour of uncut Stuttgart. Can you handle that, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I certainly are going to listen to that on the way to work tomorrow tomorrow afternoon. Spectacular. Uh, it, it, if it's out by then. Yeah, you know, it should be. Uh, it looks like the new fantasy content, by the way, mm. if, if you missed that, uh, that was one of the big news from 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 last week on Patreon. Uh, that pushed our subscriber numbers into new territory. Yeah, we've we've hit seventy five, and we said once we hit seventy five, we are going to give away another Bundesliga swag bag. So, um, I mean, I see that you have a hat with you know a lot of papers and names in it. Uh, so why why don't we draw a lucky winner? You know, I, I'm going to be honest. This is a metaphorical hat. This is uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's got a computer screen look to it, but it, you could put it on your head if you wanted to. So why why don't we draw a winner? All right. Do 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 you get a drum drum sort of? Um, well, the drum roll. Yeah, give me give me the drum roll. All right, the winner is. Adam Overberg in Indiana. Hey, hey, hey Adam. Uh, we're going to reach out this week to talk about your prize. And, uh, you know, wh why don't we set another goal? Why don't we do an even 100? Even 100 is fine by me. I mean, uh, yeah, sign up. Get your fans to sign up. And, uh, yeah, there will be plenty of prizes going around in the future. And, uh, as we say, the amount of content coming your way on Patreon is uh, it's substantial. Yeah, well, and, and it's, it's a two-way street. We want to thank you for all the signups we've had in the last few months. Your support is 
a huge help in keeping the lights on at TFHQ. It's definitely encouraging us to take more chances, to take on more projects. We've been putting a lot, of, a lot more stuff. If you haven't signed up, do consider it in the future. You can get access for as little as three bucks a month. Though, though if you give more, like Marcio Gonsalves in Hessen did, to get in at the Meister level, you'll get a special shout out on the pod. Marcio, you're a good one. Uh, we have an, uh, another contest on the go. Uh, the deadline will probably have passed by the time this comes out, but we will be giving away a copy of Michael Wagg's The Turning Season, his book, his his, his highly idiosyncratic and, and like personal book on Dede uh, Air football uh, this week. So, you know, we'll, we'll be letting you know who won that in just a few days. All right, here comes part two of Talking Foosball. The rest of the match day had just gone. This was match day eight, of course. Heading into the match day, we were talking about the top three. Uh, there was another team who was sort of pushing those teams for, you know, supremacy, for, you know, uh, staying in the Champions League places. And they actually had a really nice week. Um, along with Dortmund, match day eight was, was a, a good week for Bayer Nolfia Leverkusen. They climbed past Leipzig. They are now in third place, courtesy of a 2-1 win in Bielefeld. Total domination of this game, 70% possession for the pharmaceuticals, nearly twice as many completed passes for Leverkusen as attempted passes for Bielefeld. Uh, they held the hosts to 0.0 XG, which, yes, that means zero shots. Zero shots, no shots. Um, Nick, explain to us how did Bielefeld get their one goal? It must be because there is something particularly odd about Finnish goalkeepers. I found out because um, one, one of the one of the craziest own goals I've ever seen growing up was the one of Peter Enkelmann, uh, Aston Villa keeper, who you know during I think it was an FA Cup match between them and. Uh, Birmingham. So it was a Birmingham derby, and you had the Swedish defender Olaf Mailberg sort of doing a throw in, uh, throwing it towards Enkelmann. And, uh, you know, he sort of didn't have his eye on the ball and uh, just sort of footed it into his own goal somehow. And that's what, you know, Radetzky did some sort of other version of that. He got a back pass and he tried to hit it, and he hit it with the side of his foot, and the wall simply just rolled into his net. And you, yeah. It really made me wonder what what is it about Finnish goalkeepers and on goals? Yeah, well, I I do not know. I, I have to be honest. When when you brought up this this goal from two thousand two, uh, I did have to look it up to to you know find out what it was, and it was almost a carbon copy. I mean, other than the fact that one was a throw, one one was one was a back pass, the type of mistake was exactly the same by these two goalkeepers. Two Finnish goalkeepers. <laughs> There's got to be something uh, it's about a, it. it's I don't know, however, did did uh, Peter Enkelmann um, take it as well as Radetzky did? I mean, Radetzky famously, after this game, <laughs> talked about anticipating the roasting he was going to get you know, in, in various highlight shows and online. And he said, you know what? <laughs> we won the game. I don't give a shit. <laughs> which was great. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a healthy attitude to have. Um, Enkelmann on the other hand side, uh, he sort of went uh, a little out of his way saying that, uh, well, I didn't touch the ball. It shouldn't have been a goal because it was a throw-in, blah, blah, blah. But, well, you know, if you take a closer look at the sort of replay, it looks like he touched it. So, yeah, 
but you know, I mean, Radetzky won the match. Enkelman lost his three 0 There so you go. That's that, the difference. That's, that's the difference. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about Gladbach here. I mean, they are a team who, of course, were in the uh, the the Champions League this season representing Germany. They were in the top four at the end of last season, but at the moment, they're kind of not really part of the leading pack. Also, to be honest, this result they got this weekend, which was a 1-1 draw against Augsburg, um, did not do much for them. You know, Florian Neuhaus got them ahead in this match in the first half. He had, you know, Gladbach had plenty of chances to put this game away, but they just didn't. Daniel Calgary, 88th minute, equalizer, heartbreak for uh for Gladbach you know your deep dive with with Manuel Broya you you sort of put it to him that there had been some unevenness in the results and so forth and I was really interested to hear him say you know how much that him and other Foles fans were really starting to to really trying to keep a cool head about this and saying they're in a good place and it's been a tough run of fixtures between all the Champions League games and some tough league games as well and that he wasn't worried about where they're at. You know, <laughs> dropping points at home to Augsburg, that, that's, just, that's a little worrisome, isn't it? It is. It certainly is, especially when you see in the sort of fashion it came. Because Gladbach had, as you said, enough chances to make it 2-3-0. For sure. And Bolo, and Bolo hitting the post. Uh, he hasn't scored since match day 34 of last season. And again, what we see is sort of Gladbach may lack the sort of clinical finisher up top that we sort of said that they were missing at the moment because Bolo certainly wasn't it in this match. And when you see that goal they conceded towards the end there... Um, you have to keep a couple of things in mind. First of all, they had enough chances to make it 2 or 3-0. Second of all, uh, Framberger was sent off, I think, in the 65th, 67th minute, some, somewhere around that time. So Gladbach actually played a huge chunk of that match being one man more on the pitch than Augsburg. And third of all, look at that defending. Look at how they are sort of having two or three chances to clear that ball and somehow two Gladbach players sort of scramble the ball away and they sort of queue it up perfectly for Daniel Caligiuri to take a volley. And, you know, he hits it hard and ever so sweetly, but it hits pretty much straight at Jan Zoma, who sort of is surprised by how hard this shot is and just cannot do move enough of a, of his arm to, you know, keep the ball out, out of the goal. Yeah, it was weird, though. I mean, they were they had lots and lots of numbers in the box. They couldn't get it out. When they did get it out, I think they're, they would have been maybe halfway justified in thinking that the ball was in such a wide position where, where Caligiri caught it that perhaps it was not that dangerous uh, a position. But... <sighs> Yeah, the fact that he, he even got the ball in the first place. They should have just chucked it. You don't want to allow your opponent to shoot from any sort of a position. You want to get that bloody ball over the halfway line. and Certainly in know, the 88th minute you do with the 1-0 lead. Exactly. So, I mean, it's it's a schoolboy error uh, to do it that way. Some of the times those errors don't get punished. Caligiuri did. And, uh, yeah, all things considered, it's um, a dreadful result for Gladbach. Yeah. And it leaves them five points adrift of the Champions League spots, which um, you you cannot see them overturn this by, you know, before we take that mini winter break after match day 13. 
Yes, we shall see what the future holds for Gladbach. Uh, One maybe good thing that it holds uh, is Wednesday's fixture. Uh, They are at home to Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, You know, obviously Shakhtar are no mugs, but uh, they certainly looked like it uh, at home to Gladbach uh, a couple of weeks ago when they got slaughtered. So if Gladbach can, you know, pile up another uh, big win, uh, that that should definitely help them in their their quest to get out of that group of death in in the Champions League. If they win, they are pretty much having two match balls after that match. So yeah, a win is uh, is a must for them. But uh, as long as they pu- pull it off, uh, they are actually in the driver's seat to get through. Yeah, as long as they can get results against Inter and Real Madrid. It's easy, isn't it? <laughs> Which yeah, they've done it. They've done it before. Uh, yeah. So, uh, speaking of Daniel Caligiuri, the, uh, you know, you know, sort of, uh, the late hero for, uh, Augsburg, he of course used to play for many years for one Schalke Nulfir, who probably would have loved to have had someone like him, uh, on their side, someone who can score goals at all. Uh, Schalke were shut out at home, lost 2-0 to Wolfsburg, lots of misfires again, although to be fair, you know, they're 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 lonely from from Eintracht uh, Frankfurt is is definitely trying. Like when you look at him up front, he's definitely trying to do something. It's just not working out just yet. Yeah, I mean, the the team really struggled with that sort of three three two two formation that Manuel Baum uh, had in mind for the first half and it sort of looked like the, they were disorganized at the back they weren't really cohesive going forward uh, once he changed to four at the back and for the second half things looked ever so slightly better but um you know at that stage Wolfsburg pretty much felt like they had that game in their in their hands and that they were winning it and they had already scored those two goals and they should have I mean the only regret Wolfsburg should have about the first half is that they didn't score more than two goals for sure. Yeah, I think Vekors called it the best the best half of football they've played all year. Yeah. Against against the side that pretty much has been the whipping boy of the entire league so far this this season and for the for the second half of the last season. Um but yeah, nevertheless, it's um disappointing to see Schalke in this fashion and it's you know, probably maybe also a case about Manuel Boehm maybe wanting a little bit too much, putting his stamp on the team a little bit too much and asking his players to play informations that they don't feel necessarily comfortable with. And that is uh, always going to be a problem. I mean, you can't have the best ideas in the world as a new coach. As long as you don't have a group of players that is capable of implementing those ideas, you're pretty much screwed. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this, uh, the, the sort of visual depiction uh, of the lineup that Schalke trotted out uh, in this game. And the way that the players are arranged, at least uh, on the diagram and kicker, and kicker has a pretty flexible um, system of, of, of showing formational diagrams. You can sort of move players around to different places. You can even depict if, if a certain side is uh, a bit more advanced than another. And this lineup, as you say, it's, it's more or less a 3-3-2-2. Three, three, two, two. But it also, it just looks like a circle. With a dot in the middle of it. I mean, basically, you have Tio Stambouli, Nastasic at one side of the circle. You have got Paciencia and Ut at one side with Arit Serdar. And then you got Mascare 
in the middle. And it's just, it looks like a game of Rondo or something like that. What are they even doing? This is probably why Manuel Baum always shouts, Mitte zu machen! Because Marcel has to do an awful lot of running. It's true, it's true. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, so, uh, Cologne. But this was a game that I have to be honest, I... Cologne versus Union Berlin. On a Sunday. This is a game <laughs> that I more or less kind of think maybe could just not have a winner as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, but it did. And it's mostly down to the fact that Köln are absolutely dreadful right now. And um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, yes, we can go on about Max Cruiser missing that penalty and then slotting it home to, to score the winner, um, which makes him one of the most prolific strikers of German origin once again in the Bundesliga. But when you when you look at the sort of results that Cologne have had so far this season, they've down three points, uh, three draws. Uh, they haven't won a game in, I think, 18 or 19 matches right now. And look at the run-in they have before the winter break. They have Borussia Dortmund on the road. Got Wolfsburg at home, who are still unbeaten. Uh, they've got Mainz away from home, so that is pretty much probably the the first match that where, where you would think, okay, they can get something from that one. Then they're at home to Bayer Leverkusen, uh, which is going to be a tough ask, and they close out the year by being on the road to RB Leipzig. So realistically speaking, you'd think, yeah, they could take between one and three points out of those last five matches. Anything else would be a big surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, while Union just keep on rolling. Um, as you mentioned, there was, there was a missed uh, penalty. You know, conceding to Cologne in any case is, is is not not a great thing. It's not great. It's not good. No. But they still found a way to win, and this is a team that you know they're now in fifth place. And and the longer this goes on, I mean, we we, we often see teams who sort of are, are, are surprising us uh, early in the season, you know, after four or five games hanging around up in, in, you know, the upper reaches of the table. I remember at one point in time, we were talking about Freiburg and how things were going so well there. And, you know, look where they are now. Union, that's not happening with them. This, this is a team that I think is going to stick around for a little while longer anyway. I, this is... This is madness. It is. And, you know, as far as I am concerned, uh, I think they've done ever so well on the transfer market this summer. They haven't really built a team for the long run, given that they've brought in the likes of Max Cruz and such players who are in the 30s, who are well-established. And, you know, Christian Gantner plays an important part in that team. So they are sort of like the last hooray of a few Bundesliga players. But, yeah, it's a decent enough team. And they, they are going to, uh, you know win some more matches and they're definitely not going to have anything to do with relegation this season if they continue playing the way they have been playing so far. Definitely. Let's talk now about the the, the final match from the weekend, uh, at least for us to be talking about. It actually occurred before the one we just talked about. This was the the one that I sort of tipped at the beginning of the show, a, a real awakening at the bottom. I mean, this, this performance from Mainz, they got a 3-1 win in Freiburg. Really surprising stuff. They are out of the relegation places now. They looked very, very good. Very, you know, sort of, they put their stamp on this game in the first First half, Freiburg was constantly on the back foot. Three goals from Jean-Philippe Mateta in in the first half of this one kind of came out of nowhere. 
did. I mean, Mateta, I mean, he, statistically speaking, he loves playing against uh, Freiburg because going into this match, he'd scored five in, in three matches against them. Now he's on eight after four matches against them. But yeah, uh, Mainz were effective. They were brutally effective on the counter-attack. Mateta was a handful for the entire match, so was Kwaison. And Freiburg really didn't find any sort of recipe to stop these guys. And Mainz were well worth those three goals. And as for Freiburg, you have to say it's scary to see that they didn't really ask any sort of questions of the Mainz defense throughout those entire 90 minutes, really. And... Let's just keep in mind that this Mainz defense is probably, well, it is, statistically speaking, the second or third worst defense in the Bundesliga right about now. And pretty much every team they've played against has managed to score at least two goals against them. Freiburg won't close. Okay, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball. It was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Uh, really good to be back at it with you, Nick. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's hope that we don't have too many international breaks coming up, and I don't think we actually have none till March. A short winter break as well. So that yeah, we loads of Bundesliga in store for us then. Yippee ki yay! And I'll leave out the mf'er for this uh, particular occasion. Uh, it's a family show. <laughs> I know, I know. With certain types of families listen to this show together, and and those are the types of families we love the most. Uh, Nick, if you want to find him on Twitter, he is uh, Norm Musings. Uh, you can hear plenty more of him on our Patreon page that we uh, talked about in the middle of the show. We love you when you uh, subscribe there. If you want to contact me on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. You can also hit us up collectively uh, at Talking Foosball. And it is a big help if you could subscribe to our pod and leave us reviews. It just helps people find our podcast. And you know what else helps people find our podcast? A personal recommendation, friend to friend. You know, think about that as well. This is some Nixon Molyeux.